Good morning again, just as our children are going out to Sunday school, you might like to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, that uh, Pete read for us. I can't uh, say with enough uh, passion and enough joy that what a day this is today. What a day. Resurrection Sunday, a day that shaped history for almost 2,000 years and will continue to do so until the Lord returns. A day that I believe is even more important than last Friday. Pete shared a wonderful message on why Jesus Christ went to the cross. It was a, a complete message, a wonderful message. And if you have the chance to hear it, I hope you do. But today, Resurrection Sunday even surpasses Good Friday. Even surpasses everything that, that Pete showed us from the Word. And you might be saying, how can I say that? Surely the death of Christ is, is a wonderful thing we should celebrate, and of course we should. How can I say that today is more important? Well, because without today, without Resurrection Sunday, we here in this church... We who call ourselves born-again believers would be a pathetic lot indeed. We really would. Why? Because our Saviour would be still dead. He'd still be in the tomb. Look how Paul puts it in that 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. Look what Paul says about the fact if Christ is still in the tomb. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. We might as well go back to Ecclesiastes and say, let's face it, let's eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow you're going to die. Let's live under the, without God. And in a way, I probably could have done something in Ecclesiastes about that. But what a horrible situation. If, as Paul says, if Christ had not been raised, even if he went and died and took our sins upon him, if he had not been raised, then our faith is useless. You could say vanity, all is vanity. But I want to share with you this morning the joy and praise the Lord that this is not the case. Christ is risen. Death has been conquered. He shall reign forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Praise the Lord. And the resurrection is not only the good news, it's the best news imaginable. There is no better news. Our Lord rose again on the third day and this fixed or changed the crucifixion from news of his death to news of his deliverance. So on Resurrection Sunday, let's look at the greatest thing that has ever happened in your life. The greatest thing. There is nothing that will surpass it. And if you're not a born-again believer here this morning, there is still time. While you have breath, there is still time. The greatest thing that ever happened and will ever happen is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning we're going to use the ideas of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 to show us how distinct this day, make, or what a distinction it makes in our lives. 
And I'm hoping to show you this morning three aspects of Christ's resurrection. I want to show you through the scriptures the proof of the resurrection. I want to show you the purpose of the resurrection and then the promise that the resurrection will give us as believers. Proof, purpose and promise. I don't usually do alliteration, but there you go, three Ps. Proof, purpose and the promise. And the number one P, the proof of the resurrection, is what we're going to look at first. But why do you think Paul had to give proof? Why was it? Maybe he received a letter like this. Maybe he received and said, Dear Paul, our preacher said that Jesus just lost consciousness and on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Sincerely bewildered. And Paul might write back, Dear bewildered, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails, with 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his side and balm him, put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours and see what happens. Sincerely, Paul. Now, Paul is a bit more articulate than that. But this type of attitude somehow had invaded the church at Corinth and we know only too well it invades Australia. I can't go anywhere else because I haven't lived anywhere else. It, it invades and it invades the churches sometimes. The idea that Jesus just swooned on the cross. Some people say that today. And Pete read the story that the disciples uh, stole his body. That was what they tried to uh, make an excuse of. Oh, the disciples just stole his body. The latest one, or one that's been going for decades, is that, oh, we found the bones of Jesus in an ossuary. Have you heard that one? And so Paul, to the Corinthians and to us, had to meet this satanic plot head on. And I call it satanic. It's straight from Satan. You see, Satan was all for Christ being crucified. He thought that was the best thing that could have happened. But what threw, what threw Satan was the fact that Christ rose and Satan was defeated. And Satan must have had to go to plan B or C and start spreading rumours around that Christ did not rise from the dead. His body was stolen. He just swooned and they took him off the cross and, and he came back to good health. And so even today... There's only three ways that Jesus' resurrection can be viewed. You can sit here this morning and you can say, it's just a great hoax. The resurrection is a lie. Or you can say it's a myth, just being passed down from people who didn't know any better and just needed something to cling on to. It's just fiction. But there's a third and that is that the true supreme event in history, that is a fact. You can't go anywhere else other than that. It's a lie, it's a hoax, it's a myth, or it's true. And as you walk out of here this morning, you have to come down on one of those. And so Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he writes to us to tell us quite plainly that the resurrection is indeed fact. And that's why I'm starting with the idea of P for proof. 
And actually, Paul gives three proofs. I wonder whether those proofs or proofs. You can tell me later. Proofs? Thank you. He gives three proofs to the resurrection. And so proof number one is found in verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians. And that proof is that the Corinthians own salvation and their changed lives. Verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so Paul first wanted to remind the Corinthians how they came, had come to hear the gospel. But not only that, the differences it made in their lives. It was Paul who brought the gospel to them. And the verse says, Now I made known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you. And then verse 2, By which also you are saved. And then they had taken their stand in the, in the world as believers. And that's what verse 1 says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you now stand. You're standing in, that, in the gospel. Their lives were changed and they took a stand on what they believed. And today, as you sit here this morning, our lives as believers has changed. In fact, to me, one of the greatest testimonies of the Lord being risen from the dead is when someone shares their testimony with me or with anyone. The changed life. In fact, if you're a born-again believer this morning, your testimony of the changed life is a living proof of the resurrection of Christ. You are a living proof of his resurrection. As born-again believers, you have the resurrected Lord living in you. Romans 8 verse 10, this is what it says. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. In fact, I'll go as far to say that if you do not have a changed life from the time you ask Jesus Christ into your life, then you need to re-examine your salvation. I'm going to be blunt, as blunt as I can be. No changed life... No salvation. No changed life, there is no salvation. The Jewish historian Josephus was around at the time our Lord uh, was and he was, he was a Jew and he wrote uh, history. It's a great book if you ever get a hold of it. It's quite, quite large but very good reading. He wrote, on the, he wrote as a Jew. This is what he wrote about the Lord. And this is uh, from the book. Now there was about this time Jesus a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him many Jews and also many of the Greeks. This man was the Christ. And when Pilate had condemned him to the cross, those who had loved him from the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them live on the third day. The divine prophets having spoken these and thousands of other wonderful things about him. And even now, the race of Christians so named from him has not died out. 
Christianity had not died out as Josephus was writing and it was a wonderment to him. The fact that Christians were still standing firm in their faith, the the fact that their faith had not died, the fact that the faith is still 2,000 years later going strong is proof that a Christian's faith is genuine and not just superficial. See, if Christianity was superficial, it would never have lasted through the persecutions of 100 AD and 200 AD, 300 AD. It would have folded, let alone the dark ages of 500 to 700 AD, but God had always his remnant there. So proof number one of three of the risen Saviour is in each born-again believer this morning, your testimony is proof that Christ is risen and lives within you. Proof number two is the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And Pete took us through that last Friday, took us through the Scriptures that Christ died for our sin. Verse 4, And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So the proof number two is the Scriptures. Keeping in mind that that when when Paul writes uh, the Scriptures, he was referring to the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't put together at that stage. And so from the Old Testament, we know that Christ died for our sins. We know that Christ was buried. We know that Christ rose again on the third day. Paul could point to it, each in the scriptures of the Old Testament. But you say, how could that be possible that Christ died after the Old Testament was written? Well, the fact is, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament always, from the very beginning, pointed to the sacrifice of Christ, to Meshach, to the Messiah. Appointed as our substitute, and our Saviour. The Old Testament sacrifice of bulls and goats only ever pointed to Christ's sacrifice on the cross. One example is the Passover, where each family had to take an unblemished lamb, had to sacrifice that lamb and put the the blood on the lintel of their house so the, the angel of death would pass over, covered by the blood of the lamb, pointing to none other than the Messiah. Another example is the annual Jewish Holy Day, which we have been looking at in 1 Kings, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. This is the only day that the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies and he called upon the name of Yahweh and he went in there and he sprinkled blood for the sons of the people on the Ark of the Covenant. Again, pointing to the Messiah, pointing to the day that Christ the Messiah would come. And he did come. Unfortunately, Jews today are still waiting for that same Messiah. Jewish people all over the world are waiting for the Messiah to come. But they missed him 2,000 years ago. What a sad thing to know that. But what about Christ's resurrection on the third day? Where is that in the Old Testament? Well, they're too numerous for me to go through. But I want to read a psalm to you, Psalm 16. Verses 8 to 11. 
This is a messianic psalm, a beautiful messianic psalm talking about the Christ. And Peter actually used this psalm in his first sermon in the book of Acts to show that Jesus Christ was indeed risen. Psalm 16 verse 8. Remember this is a messianic psalm. It is about Jesus Christ or about the Messiah. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. As I said, Peter just quoted that. The idea of you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will not um, allow me to or abandon me in Sheol. The Old Testament is about the Messiah. Someone once told me from Genesis 3.15 right through to the end of the Old Testament, Christ is like a, a ribbon of red running through that whole Old Testament. It prophesied, it was prophesied and it happened. So the proof that Paul is giving is the Scriptures. And then we have the third proof that Paul used, probably the most compelling, and that is eyewitnesses. 1 Corinthians 15 verse eight, uh, 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So there were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Some had died, sure, but many were still alive. Peter saw him. The 12 disciples saw him. 500 people saw him. People will say, oh, they're all hallucinating just to get away from the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It takes more faith to believe that, some, that they're all hallucinating, hallucinating than believing Christ rose. Christ appeared to James, then the, all the apostles, and he appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. We also read, or Pete read, that Mary Magdalene appeared to him. Uh, he appeared to Mary Magdalene in John 20. He appeared to other women in Matthew 28. He appeared to the eleven and Thomas in particular in John 20. He appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. He was seen in Galilee in Matthew 28. He was seen all over the place. Jesus claimed he would die in Matthew 16:21 and rise on the third day. So he himself even prophesied it. The Old and the New Testament leaves no doubt about the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I believe, to be the cornerstone of our faith. Without it, we as believers have no hope for this life. We have no hope for the life to come. And as I said, Paul wrote, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless you see, our belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is not based on some religious feeling. 
It's not based on an unfounded idea about what may have happened in the past. It isn't based on an isolated rumour. It isn't based on myth handed down. A Christian's belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is based on historical fact. It's based on solid evidence. Now I want you to understand here that Paul's not leaving out faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He just wanted his readers to see some hard evidence to show that we as Christians are not jumping into blind faith. We don't have blind faith. We don't have faith in something we don't uh, understand. or is, We have faith in something that's shown to be true. Paul could have said, I'm an apostle, just believe me, by faith. But he didn't. He gave proof to the Corinthians. That's how he started. In the early part of last century, a group of lawyers met in England to discuss the biblical account of Jesus' resurrection These lawyers wanted to see if there was sufficient evidence to make a case that would hold up in an English court. And that's what they sat down to do. And when their study was completed, they published the results of their investigation. And they concluded as lawyers that Christ's resurrection was one of the most well-established facts of history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a reality Countless changed lives, even in this room, bear fact to that. We have proof. Christians are here today testify of a new changed life. At this point, someone could possibly be saying, okay, so I agree that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So what? What does that mean to me? Well, this is where we have our second P. We're going to look at the purpose of the resurrection. Pete took us through the purpose of the crucifixion on Friday. Let's look at the purpose of the resurrection. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. In other words, as sinners, which we all are, and Peter explained that so wonderfully on Friday, as sinners we will go to a godless eternity. See, that's what death here means. The wages of sin is death, but remember what death is. See, we don't, we don't die. Believers and non-believers do not die. We lose this earthly body, and pastor took us through that some time ago, but we don't die. The wages of sin is not death in our body dying. The wages of sin is separation from God. That's what death is being separated from God. Well, let me tell you that since Christ is risen from the dead, those wages of sin have been paid for, the wages of sin is death, those wages have been paid for because all sin was placed upon Christ. The payday came at the the cross and the wages were paid by Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, all those wages were placed on Christ. It was for our sin, it was in our place that our Lord Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross. And by the Lord Jesus Christ rising from the dead three days later, what happened was that evidence was given 
that he fully endured the penalty which was due to human guilt. We are saved from ruin by the laying of our sins on Christ. That's the only way of salvation. Jesus took the penalty that we should have had and he died. But if Christ stayed in the grave, we've already read it three times, but if Christ had stayed in the grave, our faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. But because he rose from the dead, we are free from the penalty of sin, which is death. That's the penalty, is death. And now nothing more can be demanded of Jesus because being dead, he was free from the law. Take a man who has been found guilty of a capital offence. He's condemned to be hung by the neck until he dies. So after carrying out the sentence, the law that gave that sentence is now finished with him. It's finished. They can't do anything more to him. If he could have been brought back to life, this criminal, he would be clear of the law because the law had been satisfied. He had suffered the penalty. So when Jesus Christ rose from the dead after taking our penalty upon himself on the cross, not only had he fully paid for the sins of his people, his new life is free from any penalty or liability. In other words, you and I are clear from the claims of, of the law upon sin. We're free from it. Why? Because Jesus stood in our place and God will not exact payment from both us and our substitute, Jesus Christ. It's been paid for. But this only applies if you're a born-again believer. It only applies if you are saved. What must I do to be saved? The people said after they heard Peter preach at Pentecost. And he replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You might like to turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 33. This is a knockout blow to Satan. I love this scripture. I can see Satan trembling as we read it. Romans 8.33, the knockout blow. Romans 8.33, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honour at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Now these verses go on to say that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Nothing at all. So if Satan through other people or through even though himself comes to you and says, what about your sin? Look at you. You just sinned. And well, you can tell him Jesus died for that sin. You can say the penalty has been paid for and now Jesus Christ lives and his life is my assurance that I stand right before God. If the decayed body of Jesus still lies in the tomb, we can forget about salvation, we can overlook the Bible, we have no news to give. There is nothing. You see, Confucius' tomb is occupied. 
Buddha's tomb is occupied. Muhammad's tomb is occupied. But Jesus' tomb is empty. Jesus Christ rose in triumph. And because he did, we can have the assurance now of the forgiveness of sin because he rose. Certainly we can have an assurance because he died for our sins on the cross, but more than anything, we can have assurance of the forgiveness of sin because Jesus Christ rose in triumph. The resurrection is not just important, important, it's of first importance. Because everything we believe hinges on the resurrection. Everything we believe. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Saviour, what more proof do you need that Jesus' life, death and resurrection was a fact? And what better purpose could I give you than the penalty of your sin has been paid for by Jesus on the cross and Jesus rose in victory over death and over sin? You have a decision to make this morning if you have never accepted Jesus as your Saviour. And only you can decide for yourself. And my prayer is that that God would draw you to himself, that we know that Satan blinds the eyes of, of the world. He is the prince of the air. But when you decide that the Bible is true, and when you accept that the Lord Jesus Christ is your, is, as your Lord and Saviour, then, then and only then will you have the same promise as we born-again believers have this morning. And so that's the third. We've seen the proof, we've seen the purpose of the resurrection and now I want to show you the promise of the glorious life beyond the grave because of the resurrection. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we can have the assurance, we can know that we'll be raised from the dead ourselves and that we will possess resurrected bodies. In fact, Christ's resurrection guarantees the resurrection of all believers. Let's start reading again from verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we had hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. If our only hope was in Christ was alive, then we are to be pitied indeed. What a dismal picture. Without Christ's resurrection, we as believers would have no hope for the future. If we only had this hope in this life, we would surely be miserable creatures. Sigmund Freud, the founder of psychiatry, wrote this, And finally there is the painful riddle of death, for which no remedy at all has yet been found, nor probably ever will be. I'd love to be able to, well he actually knows now, doesn't he, because he's dead. I'd love to be able to tell him I've found the riddle for death. He had no hope for the future, but as Christians we have victory in death, victory over death. Look at verse 20. But now, I think Peter read a but 
during his sermon last Friday. I love these buts. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. As Christians, we have a hope for the future when these bodies we possess are all decayed. Why? Because the victory of Jesus Christ in his own resurrection was the first fruits. Everyone else will follow. When the great Christian scientist Sir Michael Faraday was dying, some journalists questioned him about his speculations for a life after death. And he reportedly replied, Speculations? I know nothing about speculations. I am resting on certainties. I know that my Redeemer lives, and because he lives, I shall live also. Which comes from Job 19.25. There's a song we sing here at NCC, and if I had been quick enough, and I could have given it to Pete to sing after this, but I wasn't. God sent his son, they called him Jesus. He came to love, heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Saviour lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. I wonder if you're able to own those words this morning, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I don't believe for a minute the writers were talking about Monday. Because he lives, I can face eternity. Because he lives, I can, I know who holds the future. It goes beyond Monday. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the only way to gain admittance into heaven, the only way to have this uh, resurrected body is by our repentance of our sin. The only way to have victory over death, which again, if you remember, is separation from God. The only way to be with God for eternity is by accepting Jesus Christ's death, burial and resurrection as the payment of your sin. And so this morning, you need to make sure, I want you to be sure in your own heart that you're putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Pete said on Friday, it's not enough to be a spiritual person. It's not enough to be religious and just come on Sundays. It doesn't matter how many times you've been to church. It doesn't even matter how many times you've called out to God. It doesn't even matter anything that you do in your own strength. It's only by trusting God's Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, for his work on the cross on the Friday and his victorious resurrection on the Sunday. And it's only by that that you will experience God's salvation. There is no other way. People will tell you there's many other ways. There is no other way. So I don't want you to leave this place until you're absolutely sure you understand what I'm saying. But more importantly, that you apply it to your life. Don't be a hearer of the word, be a doer of it. And why? 
do I want you to be absolutely sure? Because your eternity depends on it. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy to be able to stand up here and preach through your word, your son's resurrection. Lord, there's so much more to it than I've been able to share. There is so much more wonderful truths in the resurrection. Lord, help us to go home today and to search them out. Not just the fact that we have victory over death, that our sins have been shown to be paid for. There are much, much more. And Lord, we give you all the glory, we give you all the thanks. We thank you for sending your Son. We thank you for his willingness to come to be a babe in a manger, to die for us with my sin on his shoulder and that he was raised again to life. Father, we thank you for this truth. Lord, again, I pray if there is anyone here who has been blinded from the truth, I pray, Lord, that today will be the day that those scales would drop from their eyes and the revealed truth would become real to them. Lord, I ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.